for scripture reading today. Uh, it'll be two different passages. Uh, first from Isaiah 51, verses 12 through 16, and then Philippians 1, 18b through 20. So from Isaiah 51, 12 through 16. I, even I, am he who comforts you. Who are you that you fear mortal men, the sons of men, who are but grass, that you forget the Lord your maker, who stretched out the heavens and laid the foundations of the earth, that you live in constant terror every day because of the wrath of the oppressor who is bent on destruction. For where is the wrath of the oppressor? The cowering prisoners will soon be set free. They will not die in their dungeons, nor will they lack bread. For I am the Lord your God, who turns up the sea so that it waves, its waves roar. The Lord Almighty is his name. I have put my words in your mouth and covered you with the shadow of my hand. I who set the heavens in place, who laid the foundations of the earth, and who says to Zion, you are my people. And then from Philippians 1, 18b through 20. Yes, and I will continue to rejoice, for I know that through your prayers and the help given by the Spirit of Jesus Christ, what has happened to me will turn out for my deliverance. I eagerly expect and hope that I will be in no way ashamed, but will have sufficient courage so that now, as always, Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. Good morning. We have been in a series in, for many of the Sunday school classes, as well as for our worship themes, talking about the period of time that was very difficult for the children of Israel. They were in captivity in a foreign land. There was a struggle. They couldn't understand. They were going back and forth between where is God and why isn't he answering us. At the same time, there was grumbling and difficulty. And the question that we've been looking at is understanding more significantly what God's promises really mean in terms of deliverance. Is there an answer from God? And this passage this morning, in fact, the entire chapter of Isaiah 51 gives testimony to that. And certainly we can identify with it because the world doesn't seem to be getting any simpler. There doesn't seem to be any less complication. We don't seem to suddenly be at total peace any more than we were a few years ago. If anything, it, we struggle with the fact that there's all of this media and all of the news and all of the reports and all of the decisions and all of the fighting and we end up being caught in that as believers asking again the question, how will God respond to us in the situation that we're in? We struggle with all kinds of fears. And I would just begin by saying that all of Scripture and all of the story of God with his people has been a story of reconciliation, which is what 
is such an important theme for Sung Bin and his, his ministry, his ongoing studies. It's going to continue to be at the center of it, and rightly so. I just really affirm that. Because it is for all of us. Because reconciliation is a clumsy, awkward word that is long and sounds formal. But we don't like having an argument with our best friend. We don't like unresolved hurt and pain. We don't like and struggle with things that don't go our way. And I will be the first to admit that just within the last few nights, there was a situation that I was growingly impatient at pulling around to the great establishment of the fast food place. What was the name of it? They have ice cream and... Yeah. <laughs> this is kind of an audience participation sermon. <laughs> if anybody feels led, come on up. We were at Culver's and we pulled up, we got right through, we ordered, we're sitting there and we're sitting there and we're sitting there. And cars that had pulled up after we did got their food and left, or at least it seemed that way. Hello. You know how we are. And I have to admit, I was a little impatient. And finally, our order came and uh, we got it. But if that's, that's the struggle that we have. We have so many things that are immediate that we start to expect it to come when we want it, how we want it in the way that we want it. And we struggle, if we're honest, with the same thing that the children of Israel did. They wanted God to move and work. They just didn't want to have to shape their lives around that work. And that's our challenge. And in the middle of all of this uncertainty, in fact, I don't know if you've heard that there's there is now a new phobia that has been identified. It's actually called cyberphobia. It's one of the newer ones. According to a team of business professors at George Mason University, a large number of people are admitting to having a serious fear of computers. Just being in the same room with one causes some to suffer feelings of panic, irregular heartbeat, breathing difficulties, dizziness, and trembling. One therapist says that these individuals have more than the normal fear of failure while learning to work with computers. They become so anxious that they are afraid they're going to pass out, go crazy, or lose control. It doesn't seem to make sense. And that's the point. We want to make sense of it. And that's Okay, I don't think God is, is, is upset with us when we try to understand. But the question that we're being confronted with in all of this captivity, in all of God letting people have the result of their own unfaithfulness, is that we want 
to make sense in our way with our plans and what we want rather than orienting our life and orienting our perspective around a kingdom perspective. And we don't get to a kingdom perspective without establishing a sense of faith in what we believe and why we believe it. Lionel Shriver said, yet in my experience, when left to their own devices, people will get to one of two things, nothing much and no good. Gene Robinson said it this way, left to our own devices and passions, we human beings have a hard time seeing beyond what is immediately in front of us. So here's our challenge. The challenge is to say, can we step back and understand that scripture has everything we need to do that break and to pause and to get a better perspective on what God is is doing. We wonder why God has done great things for others in the past, but we struggle with the fact that he isn't doing it for us right here and right now and displaying that power for us. This passage is one in verses 12 through 16, in which God has got an answer. And I'm going to just jump right to the end of this and start there. He says, I think, one of the most powerful phrases in all of Scripture, and it is the phrase, You are my people. We get confused. We get frustrated. We lose perspective when we don't know who we are and we don't know who God is. And until we establish that, until we allow God to establish it in us, it's going to be a struggle. And so... When verse 11 declares the promise of joyful deliverance, it is indicating that the ransomed of the Lord will return to their homeland. That promise is there. It's continued to be there. But there is an interesting reference to the Messiah in this passage as well. The reference is that God will continue to not only bring about a redemption but God will also bring one who will give great hope and relief and healing and pain, a a way to come out of the brokenness and the guilt and the shame. So in in a context culturally right now where the growing word is there is no sin anymore, there is no wrong except the one which I decide for myself is wrong. That's the standard we're dealing with. And some would say that that people are leaving the church because they don't want to have any standards. I would say that the abandonment of the church has more to do with looking at what standards I want and the struggle with having that and representing that in the church. And I think the other reason is this, that the church has to be confident and clear about 
this identity of being God's people and reestablish it once and for all. And the way to work at that is threefold. The first one is this, to name who we are, to name who we are as sinners and as broken people who simply can't do it. None of our activism, none of our great arguments, none of our great designs, none of our great preferences, none of the things that we have designed that we like and we believe and we've formed it around whatever other input we get, political perspectives or any other sources we read, we shape it. No, until we name that we are an imperfect people and we can't make sense of it without God, nothing happens. We're continuing to be in a cloud and continuing to be confused. The power of naming something brings clarity. Now, there are probably stories, if we took time, of some of you that maybe had a child and didn't have a name right when the child was born. But I would guess that would be very few and far between. And one of the first things you do when the child is born is give that child a name. And one of the first things that God wants to do is to give his people a name. You are my people, God says. He names us as his people. He names us as people he wants to walk with. He wants to give encouragement to. He wants to help resolve issues. He wants to bring healing to the brokenness. He wants to touch us in the pain that we have and be a healing hand for us. He wants to be in that role. He wants us to own that name and say, I don't care whatever somebody says I am a child of God and that is who I worship and that is who I orient my life around. Naming something is making a clear decision this day, as Joshua said, as of this day, me and my house will serve the Lord. And he gave people the option and God still gives us the option. And some of us straddle that decision and straddle that uncertainty and then we also straddle our lives around halfway here and halfway there and then wonder why we're confused and broken. We're called to name our sin. We're called to name our God. We're called to name our hope. We're called to name our Savior. And we're called to name our restored identity. When God said, you are my people, he was telling them something that will start them on the way to redemption and on the way also to being released out of captivity and also back to their homeland and to a rebuilding of the temple. God called his people to demonstrate his strength and they could only do that once they had named who they were. In Exodus 3, you have this interesting dialogue. 
It says, Moses said to God, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? And God said, I will be with you. And this will be the sign to you that it is I who have sent you. When you have brought my people out of Egypt, you will worship God on this mountain. Moses said to God, suppose I go to the Israelites and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me. And they ask me, what is his name? Then what shall I tell them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. This is what you are to say to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. God naming himself and saying, okay, you want a name? I am. That's the name. The name on which you will worship, you will be released from captivity, and you will be restored. And God also said to Moses, say to the Israelites, the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever, the names you shall call me from generation to generation. The great I am. Name it, name us who we are, and name who our God is, and be unashamed, as Paul talked about, to, to, he prayed and invited the, the, the churches to, to embolden him by their prayers, so that he would be unashamed to share the gospel. Secondly, we're called to claim. The power of accepting something is more than just the power of acknowledging it. There are many believers. In fact, uh, there was an article yesterday that I read in which they were saying, oh, there's a huge drop in Christianity in the country. Because uh, previously it was 87% of Americans professed that they believed in God. And now it's dropped to 81 Well, do you think God cares about that statistic? What God cares about are the number of people that actually claim the faith, name themselves as believers, and then claim that faith in the way they live, in the way they practice, and in what they do. The power of accepting is more than just acknowledging. There are tons of millions of Christians so-called Christians in the country that call upon the Lord when they have needs. They will acknowledge that there may be a God. But to follow God and commit their way to the way of the Lord, to commit their way to a community of faith, to commit their way to a group or a small group or a Bible study or to commit their way to reading scripture on a regular basis, that statistic I'm sad to say, is far lower than those who say there probably is a God. Claiming it is the next step. Romans 6, 6 says, For we know that our old self was crucified with him so that the body ruled by sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin. Now that's bringing us out of captivity. 1 Peter 2.9, but you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession that you might declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. 
In other words, I am a child of God. 1 John 3, 1 and 2 says, See what great love the Father has lavished on us, that we should be called the children of God. And that is what we are. The reason the world does not know us is that it did not know him. Friends, we're children of God. And we need to make that clear to ourselves so that we are unwavering in what we claim. God works for the good, it says in Romans 8, 28. And I want to share this also as a verse. In a few minutes, we'll be having a sending prayer for Sungbin, Shanae, and Sunju. And this is one of my favorite verses. For we know that in all things, God works for the good. For those who love him and who are called according to his purpose. That's an establishment that we all can make. I love him and I will accept the call for God's purpose. If we do those two things, those two things will lead us in a way that we have hope and release and freedom and peace. And most of all, God's purpose. And I would just say, it's been a great joy for us to see the shaping of God's purpose in Sungbin and the family's life uh, as they've spent these years with us here. And we're excited for the purpose that you will continue to pursue. We're excited about that. But that is the part of claiming it, to take the risks. Sungbin took a great risk in coming here to the U.S. There was a there were many, many factors that were unknowns. And, and Shanae and Sunju came and they, they, they faced those difficulties in order for a greater purpose. They claimed the sense of calling that they had so that they could accomplish the purpose God wanted to work at through them. That is there for every one of us. Take Romans 8.28 and etch it in your minds and say, how is everything in my life focused around this? Loving God and receiving the call to work for God's purpose in my life. Those two things are incredible. I'll tell you, there was a story of two men. One pastor shared this story. He said, the one was called we'll call him Jim, and the other we'll call Ron. Jim went to church one Sunday morning. He listened to the choir sing and noticed that the choir sang too loud, so he just made a face and shook his head. He saw a teenager talking as the pastor was praying, and he just frowned. He felt sure that the ushers were staring at him as they passed the collection plate, which, by the way, we may, we may very soon be passing the plate again. And, and our ushers, I'm sure, will be staring. <laughs> I know I've told you this before, but the greatest one that I had fun with, you know, they used, to, they, they used to have us pastors sit up front here. And I was sitting up front here with Bob Detweiler when they were passing the offering plate one Sunday, and I hadn't brought my envelope. I had nothing, except I had my checkbook in my pocket. I threw my checkbook into the offering plate. 
and then watched as they passed it down the roads and people were like <laughs> looking and and yeah you you throw in what you got i guess anyway he was afraid these ushers were looking at him and scrutinizing if he was going to put it, something in or not he heard the pastor use incorrect grammar during the sermon well don't don't you all <laughs> So as the pastor gave an altar call, Jim slipped out the side door and shook his head and said, what a waste of time. And then there was another one called Ron. He went to church as well. He heard the choir sing, How Great Thou Art, which we're going to sing in a few minutes. He felt chills run down his spine. He was glad that the church was taking a special missions offering. He especially enjoyed the sermon. It seemed really to speak to him about an area of his life that he had been struggling with. And on the way out, he shook the preacher's hand and thought, how could anyone not be blessed after this morning's worship? Both men went to the same church the same Sunday morning and heard the same sermon. They both found exactly what they were looking for. We need to claim our faith and look for the power of God to be revealed, the power of God to be unleashed, the power of God to work not in our time, but in God's time. And finally, we're called to not only name it and claim it, but proclaim it. The power of sharing our story, our testimony is a means of bringing deliverance to others. What good is it if we're delivered just so that we can be different from everybody else and disregard the brokenness and the hurt? Folks, if we had a meter that shared exactly above our heads how much we're hurting, we would be shocked that those around us are struggling with life and brokenness, hurt, sadness, grief. And that is the reality of life. It's even more why we name who we are in God. And we claim the work and grace of Jesus Christ in our lives to restore us to new life. And then we're called to proclaim it. And we don't have to wait till everything is healed and everything is fine and it's all nice and good and tied up and excellent and we're all now ready, we're prepared, we're trained. If we wait, we'll be thinking about sharing our story when we're at the end of life. Share it now. Share the work of God in our lives now. And we do that not by having an answer for other people, but by walking with them in their pain. That's what Jesus did for us. He walks with us still in what we're going through. We had a number of people on our prayer list this morning. We don't understand why, but we know there's a lot of hurt. Walk with people, proclaim it. Proclaim it in many ways. In Psalm 78, 2, it says, I will open my mouth in parables. Now, what does that sound like? That's in Psalms. Many, many years before Jesus came on. 
And it goes on and says, I will utter hidden things, things from old. In Isaiah 35, 5 and 6, it says, And when he comes, he will open the eyes of the blind and unstop the ears of the deaf. The lame will leap like a deer, and those who cannot speak will shout and sing. The broken will rise up, and they'll rise up by us claiming our place as being healers, wounded healers, as Henry Nowen called it, healers that know the healing of Christ and want to share it with others. So we need to share and proclaim it. We need to proclaim it loud enough for people to hear. We need to proclaim it uh, inviting enough for people to be open. We need to proclaim it gentle enough for people to feel loved. We need to proclaim the good news clear enough for people to understand, passionate enough for people to know that we're committed. And we need to proclaim it in a practiced enough way for people to know it's genuine and it is worth living out, not just with words. We're called. In Ephesians 6, Paul is talking about the armor of God. And at the end of that passage, he says, and pray in the spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for the Lord, for all the Lord's people. Pray also for me, Paul says, that whenever I speak, my words may be given me so that I will fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains. Pray that I may declare it fearlessly as I should. We need to declare it. I love the song. Uh, the words are so powerful and so scriptural uh, in uh, Lauren Daigle's song, You Say. The words go like this. I keep fighting voices in my mind that say I'm not enough. How many people in this world feel that they're never going to be enough and feel the hopelessness of that? The next line, every single lie that tells me I will never measure up. I am more than just the sum of, am I more than just the sum of every high and every low? Remind me once again just who I am because I need to know. And this morning, God is reminding us who we are. You are my people. And no one and nothing in this world can take that away from us. The only thing that matters now is everything you think of me, God. In you I find my worth. In you I find my identity. Taking all I have and now I'm laying it at your feet. You have every failure, God. You have every victory. You say I am loved when I can't feel a thing. You say I am strong when I think I am weak. You say I am held when I am falling short. You, when I don't belong, you say that I am yours. People this morning, you are God's. You are God's.
to just claim that. And you know what? We're never enough on our own. I love this story that came from the Philippine Islands. It was when Japan was invading the islands uh, and there was a missionary that was trying to get all the orphans together to move out of the village before the Japanese soldiers could get there and do harm to them. And the missionary was tired and it seemed like she just couldn't get everything together in time. She was frustrated and she said, I can't do this, I can't make it. And one of the little orphan girls who obviously was listening to some of the Bible stories told her, remember that Moses led thousands of Israelites out of Egypt. And the missionary replied, yes, but I am not Moses. And the little girl said, no, you're not, but God is still God. How great is our God